left last week, we were talking about how important it is that we've experienced grace. We're born again. We've experienced mercy. We're children of God. We've experienced this incredible God who loves humanity. So many people, even in Memphis, called the Buffalo of the Bible Belt. The only people that you will encounter in this city, in this metro area, don't really understand who God is. They've got a skewed concept of God, many times called by the church. Growing up, they had a bad experience. Somewhere I've got dear friends my age, in their 60s, who don't go to church at all, simply because they, somewhere along the line, they encountered a preacher or an elder or a deacon or a Sunday school teacher or somebody who was as religious as you could be on Sunday, but then through the week just lived like You may not ever murder anymore. You may not ever, you may not 
It's not from the Father, it's from the world. The world is passing away, and also it's lust. But the one who does the will of God abides forever. This is where we left off last week. That I, as a Christian, exist. We, as Christians, corporately and individually, we exist in a world that is not doing the will of God. We exist to do the will of God so they can see the difference and be drawn to a God who gives hope. You've heard me say it many, many times. Get ready this week to do another funeral on the Pope's Christian funeral. And I love to do funerals for one reason I can offer hope. We were just a couple of weeks ago. Know at that moment that somebody that you love dearly, you care about, suddenly that life is over. You're thinking about death. You're thinking about what about my life? What's going to happen to me when it's all over on this planet? Ecclesiastes says, "Eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow we die."
Jesus. For I proceeded forth and came from God, nor have I come of myself. God sent me. Why do you not understand my speech? Because you are not able to listen to my word. You, talked about this earlier, you Pharisees are of your father, the devil, and the desires of your father you want to do. The murderer from the beginning. And he says, I tell you the truth, you do not believe me. Which of you convicts me of sin? And if I tell the truth, why do you not believe me? He who is of God hears God's words. Therefore you do not hear, because you are not of God. So verse 3, at the point there on your handout, is that he says they are living for yourself, although we've been talking about that's who you are prior to Jesus Christ. And notice the way he puts it, he says in verse 3, the loss of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of our flesh, that simply means your nature. When it says the loss of the flesh, it doesn't necessarily, it's not talking about sexual immorality, even though it can include that. I want to walk through this because it's important. It simply means, when it says the lust of our flesh, it means your passions and your desires because you are human. Not that, it doesn't mean that, there, that that's necessarily bad. Hang with me for a moment. It means that's who you are as a human being. For example, have you ever been hungry? Yes. Have you ever been thirsty? Yes. Is it a sin to eat? Is it a sin to overeat? Yes. Basic human nature, if you're hungry, that's fine. There's nothing wrong with that. If you're thirsty, fine. How many of you Sexual desires. We all do. Where did that come from? God created it out of the need. It's a basic human need that God created. It's a beautiful thing when it's done what? According to God's will. It's wrong to be a glutton. It's wrong to have to be sexually immoral outside the will of God, but they are basic human needs that God put within us. And what he's saying here is, again, hang with me, then he says, the desire, that means your will, your determination. Here's what he's saying. Those basic human drives and needs, the sex need, the hunger need, the thirst need, the need for relationships, those are all good things that God created to set us apart from the animals. We are created in the image of God. When it becomes a problem is when that basic human desire becomes a drive and satisfies in a way it is outside the will of God does not glorify Him. That's what He's saying. Do whatever you want to do. We live in a culture now, in the United States of America. You know what dominates our culture philosophically more than anything else? A moral relativism. You know what moral relativism simply defined is? You just do what's right for you. I'll do what's right for me. Do what's right for me. 
Everybody decide for themselves. There are no such things as moral absolutes. That way, somebody can move them. What if I decide that, that people put the hair that shouldn't be around because most of them are falling in this period? Now, as I get a little older, I'm beginning to worry that there's going to be a point where says, well, anybody that's over the age of 70 is probably going to get our way. We just have to do this more. You don't think that's coming? Put the word in. What does that mean? Whoever has the control, whoever has the power, we're going to do what they want to do. We don't even know what to believe anymore. But yet, as a Christian, you've got to keep coming back to the truth of the word of God. It's simple. That's what he's talking about here. The lust of your flesh, fulfilling those desires in a way, the desires themselves are bad. It's fulfilling it in a way that is outside God's will. And notice he said, the desires of the mind, he said, not just physically, hunger, thirst, sex, not just those, but also your thought life. I mentioned it earlier. Your, what you think, your attitude, your responses emotionally. For example, no one may ever know that you're jealous what someone else has, or envious of what someone else has, or you hold, you hold malice in your heart towards someone, or you're bitter towards someone else. No one, may, no one may ever know that but you. Guess what? Your daddy knows, and he knows what it will do to you when you are living for those desires. He mentions it in the book of Hebrews when he says, if you let a root of bitterness Take hold in you, it will spring up and cause all kinds of problems in your life. I appreciate Darren sitting on the front row just a few years as an example. Darren and I are good friends and have been for years. If I got bitter towards Darren, not only would it, I, would it affect what I thought about him, what it would begin to do is eat away at me spiritually because the Holy Spirit is not going to let me. Going to convict me, that's wrong. You've got to get rid of it. And if I've done anything, I need to go to Darren and apologize and ask for forgiveness. And maybe it's just a fault line that's wrong. What Jesus wants us to understand the Sermon on the Mount, what Paul is focusing on here is your mind. In Romans 12, we think it's so beautiful in that great passage, Romans 12, 1 and where he says, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, live your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service of worship, reasonable response to salvation. To say to God, here I am, use me. In the very next verse, he said, Don't be conformed to the world, but be transformed by the renewing of what? Your mind. That you may prove what is that perfect and acceptable will of God. I need to constantly have my mind. Paul said, It's a lot to set your mind on things above, what Christ did. Seek those things. Seek them. It, it's not like, okay, every day I've got to read the Bible and do the daily bread and wait until I get tired. That's a good thing to do, by the way. That's not for me. What it means is, I want to focus my mind on growing as a child of God, being everything my dad wants me to be so he can be pleased with me 
that involves and begins with in every way my mind. Romans 5, Paul wrote these words. For the mind set on the flesh is death. The mind set on the spirit is life and peace. Because the mind set on the flesh is hostile toward God. It does not subject itself to the law of God. It is not even able to do so. And those who are in the flesh cannot please God. Here's the whole point. If my thought life, my mind, if I'm wrapped up in bitterness, if I'm jealous, if I'm envious, if I'm not trying to be focused on the Lord, if I'm not willing to deal with those things and get them out of my life so I can be with God, I'm not going to be affected. I'm just going to, matter of fact, I'll probably hurt the testimony of God. I, get, I guarantee you, if you go around the room and just you can share examples, either people you know or maybe you've been there yourself, you get so wrapped up and angry you are with someone or bitter or mad or selfish. It's happened in my life. And I just get off the track. I'm not even going where God wants me to go. I'm not doing anything bad. I'm not hurting anybody. I'm getting up every day. I was almost out in the church when it happened to me. When my father died. And I only went through. And man, I was miserable. Why? Because God knew my fault. God knew my bitterness. God knew you got to get rid of this. Don't. It's going to eat you up. And so I got rid of it. A hard way to do it, but I got rid of it. And then, in that moment, when I had that conversation with my younger brother, it was like somebody just swooped down out of the sky and took the hat off my back and said, This is freedom. I don't know about Jesus now. He told me before he did. Said it five again. Life and peace. Mind set on the flesh is death. God's going to leave. But mind set on God is life and peace. Talk about it at Christmas. It's on earth. The literal original language is not so good for many. It's on earth in the end of his will. I'm at peace with God because I'm a little boy. That's why I call this series, Who's Your Dad? Because I'm his little boy. You are too. You're his little girl. We're at peace with him. We're in the family. We get to sit at the table and eat. The very supper we're going to we're going to get there. The next one, the neighbor might not be. The guy goes to the cubicle next to you might not be. But the person you encounter when you go out to do whatever you're going to do, they might not be. Just this week, I finally broke the leash and went out to play golf. Last week, it went out last week and this week. <coughs> and we rounded the corner and it got really humid. The three hours playing, we rounded this corner and we went to see all the local workers at the golf course that fly over here. We're just sitting on the lawn, we're waiting for us to be off and we're tired of walking in at the fairway. And then it was hot, and then I got to, I think we stepped out of the shower. It was wet. <coughs> 
beer now.
grace, mercy, the only solution is law of inevitable consequences. Somebody's going to pay for your sin. Look at verse 4. But God, who is rich in mercy, because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses, he made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you've been saved. He raised us up together, made us sit together in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, that in the ages to come, he might show the exceeding riches of his grace, his kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. So quickly, because he is a God of grace and mercy, and you look at where we are, verses 1, 2, and 3, it's a miserable condition, lost without hope, living for self, living for Satan. But God, that's why you've heard me say many years from this very pulpit, my favorite word in the Bible is but. My favorite attribute, principle, is hope. And when you see the word but, God's always going to give you a contrast. And the reason I'm excited about sharing this with you, I want to make sure you come away with this good thing for three weeks. Understanding, especially when you are a child of God, experience grace, the riches of Christ. He paid that expense, God's riches in Christ's expense. You've experienced the mercy of God. Mercy of God, we're going to see the, the definition of that next week. It's that He did not punish you for what you deserve, He didn't give you your deserving punishment, He put it on the back of Jesus Christ. So you, But God, verse 4, that sharp contrast, but the dead in sins, the sharp contrast is we can rejoice, we can relax, we can praise God. Because we have been, look at verse 1, you he made alive. Sin and death accomplished in Hebrews, the book of Hebrews, by Jesus Christ when he rose from the dead. So the consequences of sin by the love of God been set free because of who Jesus Christ is. Let's stop there today. If you want to get into what I want to get into next, it's going to take as long as I don't want to, I want to take that for next week. But let me challenge you with this. I want you to bow your head for a moment as the worship band comes back and through the music. I want you just to pause for a moment, settle down in your hearts. This is something I love to do when I'm home alone, when I'm studying, and I do most of my sermon preparation in my office at home, which is very quiet, usually there by myself. I love to just sit there and to read the passage like Ephesians 2, 1 through 10, and then just think about it. Just meditate on it. Before I get into the, the, the depths of it, just meditate on the principles I've laid out there. But what I'm going to do for just a moment, I want you to just sit there. Kind of clear your mind. Assuming you're born again, trust in Christ as your Savior. And if you haven't, recognize that Jesus thank you for dying on the cross for me, showing me grace, taking my sin, paying for it. Thank you. Thank you. Please save me. Almighty Savior. I'm redemptive. Thank you. Assuming you're a Christian, you've done that. Here's what I want you to meditate on for a moment. 
mercy. Giving me opportunities, Father, to tell people about Jesus Christ. This is not a vacation here. What he really did for people. He did okay. Did you ever pray that? Did you ever think about it? Good. That I would have made everything my dad wants me to be. I want my dad to be proud of me. I want him to look at me and say, well done. Not perfect. What's that when you mess up the old? Thank you for the gift. Thank you for grace. Thank you for mercy.